most important thing that you will do today and any day of your life is to take up the Word of God and open it and read it and listen for God's voice. So I invite you to take a Bible, open with me to the fourth chapter of the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to the Christians at Colossae. Colossians chapter 4. A week or so ago, I wondered within my thoughts whether I should temporarily set aside our ongoing study of this epistle to the Colossians and prepare this day a Thanksgiving message, given this week's festivities. But uh, much to my delight, it is seemingly providential that in the midst of these next few verses before us, would you believe the word Thanksgiving itself appears? And as we read the verses, it is clear that the primary subject is about the ministry of prayer. But note that we are instructed there in verse 2 to pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. The King James Version translates it, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. One of the contemporary paraphrases of the text reads this way. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. You see, the subject is prayer, while the overriding theme has to do with how we approach the throne of God's grace. The apostle is saying that how we pray is just as important as what we pray. Also instructive to the cultivation of our personal and corporate prayer life is the fact that in this text we have an opportunity to glance at a portion of Paul's own prayer list, his prayer requests regarding the need of his own heart. I like that. It's sort of like looking over his shoulder into his personal diary there with a prayer list that he's praying over concerns he has even about himself. We get a peek of that. Now, I'll read for us the four verses using the very literal New American Standard Bible, which I'm accustomed to using in my studies, beginning at verse 2, Colossians 4 and verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make clear in the way I ought to speak. Let us pray again. Heavenly Father, help us to never lose the wonder of what it means when we pray. That you actually hear us. That you delight in the voices of your children. You invite us to ask. And you have taught us over time that you always do what is best when you answer our prayers. 
Father, we never pray nearly enough. We always have more to learn about the privilege of prayer. So teach us from your word this morning and renew a passion in us to speak with you at all times about everything, but to do so with an attitude of thanksgiving. We ask in Jesus' gracious, beautiful name. Amen. Now, here in verse 2 are three issues related to the cultivation of an effective prayer life. Who among us does not want to cultivate a more effective prayer life? That certainly is my desire. It's an ongoing desire for as long as I've been a Christian. This prayer empowering scripture, verse 2, confronts these three issues. Some of you like to take notes, so I've kind of developed a bit of an outline for those of you that want to jot this down and consider it later. It's a good habit to get into. Number one, the apostle seems to be underscoring the consistency of our prayer life. The consistency of our prayer life. Secondly, he will address the intensity of our prayer life. And then thirdly, we'll look at what I'm calling the gratuity of our prayer life. That one may require a little bit of explanation, I suppose. But let's take each of these three points as we take apart uh, what is here in verse 2. Number one, the consistency of our prayer life. The King James uses the word continue in prayer, while two other uh, more literal translations give us the word devote yourselves to prayer. What it is, is an attempt in English to underscore the strength of the original Greek word that's being used here. It's a two-part Greek word that more literally or most literally means, when it comes to our prayer lives, that it is something that in which we are to endure. We are to keep on keeping on in prayer. The consistency of our prayer life. It's as though he is saying, when you don't feel like praying, pray. When you are weary of asking, keep asking. Now, this same Greek term is found in Hebrews 11. I won't have you turn there, but it's. Not surprising that we would find this word to continue, to devote, to endure would be found in that portion of Scripture we often refer to as the, the great hall of fame of faith, Hebrews 11. That's the chapter you remember that reminds us that faith is the assurance of things that we're still hoping for. Uh, that it is, uh, faith is the conviction of things not yet seen. And then in that chapter, speaking of Moses, it says this, that he considered his present difficulties in light of the promised Messiah and that he thought his relationship to Jehovah to be something as far greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. So we read that by faith he left Egypt, and boy did he leave Egypt, right? Through the parting of the waters of the great Red Sea. He left Egypt, the text says, 
not fearing the wrath of the Pharaoh. And then Hebrews 11.27 uses that Greek word. It says, he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Continue in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Endure in the ministry of prayer. Think about Moses. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. So we conclude this much. To endure in prayer, to be devoted to prayer, to continue in prayer, is to see the unseen. It is to exercise faith. It is to be convinced That when you close your eyes and lift up your voice to the heavens, that the God you cannot see with these eyes is nevertheless truly the God in whom your soul delights and is comforted. The consistency of your prayer life, or I could say the lack thereof, is direct evidence of just how much of a relationship you and I have with the living God. I think I want to repeat that even though it convicts me. (laughs) That the consistency, my continuing in prayer, is direct evidence of just how much of a relationship I really have with the living God. A relationship. He talks to me in his word. I talk to him in my prayers. And when I do that consistently, I have an ongoing and consistent relationship with God himself. It's the only way I know that we do. In prayer, I breathe new air. And as the hymn writer said, I find it to be celestial. In prayer, I live and breathe the kingdom air even before I get there. So the question has to be how consistent, how continuing, how devoted, how enduring is your prayer life? Your answer reveals the true nature of your present walk with the Lord who loves you and gave himself for you. I hope that even with this first point, something stirs within your heart as it does mine. Oh, Lord, help me to be more consistent in praying, even as I listen to what you have to say in your word, the consistency of your prayer life. Number two, we said we would call this the intensity of your prayer life. Uh, the text says, devote yourself to prayer. But then he says, keeping alert in it. Literally, he's saying pray, but stay awake. <laughs> that rendering updates the old English, which says, watch and pray, watch and pray. I remember uh, my grandmother from a previous generation now. She's been with the Lord for many years. 
But I'd come up against something and she'd say, Jim, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Keep alert. Keep praying. Consistency? Yes. But wide awake intensity as well. Jesus used this same word that Paul's using here in this text when he was with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fell on his face, you remember, to pray. He was facing the cross. He had asked just before he went off a little distance if those disciples who had followed him during all his earthly years of ministry, if they wouldn't, quote, watch and pray with him. He finished his prayer, at least for that moment, and he came back to where they were gathered And the text sort of reveals to us that he did not hear any prayer language. In fact, he heard snoring. It is recorded, and I'll give you the King James. He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what? Could ye not watch? Could ye not be alert? Could you not be awake with me one hour? I often wonder why Peter is singled out here. Maybe because he was snoring the loudest. Or maybe because Jesus, always knowing the heart, knew that Peter was the disciple of good intentions. Even when he was putting his foot in his mouth, it was well-intentioned. Maybe Jesus knew that this one disciple among the others had actually struggled the most to stay awake. I don't know. All of that is conjecture. But Jesus, even in the midst of his impending agony, would compassionately, oh yes, compassionately, conclude with these words to his disciples and the bleary-eyed Peter. I know. He says, the spirit is willing. You wanted to stay awake and pray the whole time. I know. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. At any rate, I think we can conclude That our willingness, our desire to pray, is a good thing. While at the same time, the text helps us to acknowledge that this is the one spiritual discipline, I think even more than than reading God's Word, it's the one essential spiritual discipline that for some reason is always particularly exhausting to the flesh in which we still abide. It is our flesh which makes consistent and intense praying such an exhausting exercise. Keep alert in it, Paul says. I just would share by way of personal testimony. I'm convinced that the work involved in praying takes a greater toll than the high-intensity workout in the gym. 
I say I'm convinced that that's the case, not knowing too much about what it is to have a high-intensity workout in the gym. But I have struggled to pray faithfully. The sad thing is that many, especially in our present culture, find it easier to discipline themselves for bodily fitness than to discipline themselves in prayer. For spiritual fitness and strength, it's harder work. Paul writes to Timothy in a day where much attention was given to physical fitness in that Greek culture and says, you know, Timothy, physical exercise. Now, that's a good thing. That's an important thing. But exercising yourself unto godliness has benefit for everything in your life that God has called you to do. I would suggest to us who are weak in the flesh in these matters that it's not necessarily a bad thing if you find that you have fallen asleep while praying. Because at least you're praying and not watching the TV or just reading some mindless book. The key is, I think, that when you are awake or in those moments of each day when you are more naturally alert, that may be the best time to settle for doing less of something other so you can give yourself with alertness to the work of prayer. Because it is work. It is a labor. I'm not sure which uh, wise missionary statesman home from the foreign field said this when he was told by a prayer group as he was getting ready to go back to the foreign field that they would be, we will be praying for the work, they said to him. And he responded to the group saying this, prayer is the work. Great insight there. Andrew Murray's classic book entitled With Christ in the School of Prayer says this, and I quote, Our true aim must not be to work a great deal and pray just enough to keep the work right. We should pray a great deal And work enough so that the power and blessing obtained through prayer may flow through us to men and women in the world. That bears repeating. That's excellent. That's an insight right into our text. Our true aim must not be to work a great deal and pray just enough to keep the work right. We should Pray a great deal and work enough so that the power and blessing obtained through prayer may flow through us to men and women in the world. How convicted I am as I pause to measure the consistency and the intensity of my prayer life. God help me. God help us to stay awake, to watch and pray. Because I want to tell you, folks, God has promised 
that the very floodgates of heaven will open and showers of blessings are waiting to dump on our heads. Stay alert. Watch and pray. Number three in these issues, issues which are meant to cultivate in us a more effective prayer life, we've talked about the consistency, the intensity, and now, from the text, what I've called the gratuity of our prayer life. You know, up in my home state of uh, New Jersey, we love our diners. Uh, there aren't as many what I call real diners here in Florida. There's some good places to eat, thank the Lord. But up in New Jersey, we love our diners, and there's lots of them, and we take care of our waitresses, too. They work hard for what we call their tips. But now in the finer restaurants, we wouldn't just think of tipping. We leave what is called... A gratuity. In fact, sometimes that's even written on the bottom of the guest check. Gratuity. You see, we are expected to pay for our good meal, but then we are to add some amount of more money as a way of what? Expressing our gratitude for the waiter's attention to our every need. We Express it monetarily with a gratuity. If you're like me, and I do confess this, sometimes the size of that gratuity is in fact based upon the waiter's meeting my every need or not. Well, now here the Apostle Paul is saying that we should be most generous, I could say, most gratuitous when expecting through prayer that God himself is waiting on us, that he is uh, there to pay attention to our every need. He invites us to come and tell him what we want. Do that, he says, come. And so what is Paul saying when you're praying Do this with thanksgiving. He's saying, let there be unfettered, generous thanksgiving, even as we are making our request known before his throne of grace. This Thursday, most of us will be thinking, and it's good to do this, of all the things He has done for us in the past, or at least up to this moment. And we will be giving thanks on Thanksgiving Day for all that God has done. Fine. But the apostle is telling us that Thanksgiving is just as appropriate while we are asking for the things we need. While we're praying. Prayers of petition made with thanksgiving are prayers being prayed with every expectation 
that God has heard and that we know he will do what is best for us. You know, it won't always be that he says yes, but he will do what is best for us. It may be that the wiser father than his children will say no. It may be that he's doing other things in our lives that are better for us than just answering an immediate request. So he may say, I want you to wait a while, continue to be consistent and even intense in your asking, but I'm not doing it just yet. Prayers of petition made with thanksgiving are prayers being prayed with every expectation that God is hearing me here and now and that he will do what is best for me. Thank you, Lord. It's a little like this, I think. If I say to one of my kids, and I sometimes do, it'll, it'll go something like this on a Thursday. Please take out the trash. Thank you. Notice that my thank you obviously precedes their taking out the trash. But my thank you says to them that I have every expectation that they will do it. Please take out the trash. Thank you. Now I can thank them again. After they have done that, but I'm thanking them in advance. I have every confidence that they will do it. By the way, my kids are pretty good at taking out the trash. But to apply it to the weightier matters of life, by way of that example, maybe it would be good for you to hear one of my recent prayers. Oh, Lord, I need your grace. Right now, Lord, I need the strength to endure. You can fill in the blank. This, this present heartache, this particular trial. Thank you that you have already promised to hear the cry of your children. And that regardless of how this situation turns out, Lord, you have told me already that your grace is sufficient and that you will do that which will bring you the most glory and what is best for me. So even as I'm asking, Lord, for grace and for strength, I thank you that you've already promised to give it. You know, if you and I did nothing more but pray the promises of God, letting them shape all of our prayer requests, I want to tell you, our prayer lives would be vitally transformed. And so would we. Discover your needs. Find God's promise in His Word that relates to that need. Ask God to meet that need while thanking Him at one and the same time that He has promised to do just that. What a way to pray. What a way to experience the very power of God in our daily lives. Now, here in verse 2, where we've been spending our time, Paul's lesson on prayer 
is meant primarily, of course, to strengthen the life of believers in the church at Colossae. You'll remember that as far as we know, Paul never actually visited Colossae. All he does is write him, write them his letter. But now, as he has given them that most valuable lesson on prayer in one verse, the apostle without apology or self-consciousness takes the opportunity to ask them to pray for him. Paul so believes and gets a little excited, frankly, about the work of prayer that he longs for the prayers of God's people for the burden he bears as an ambassador for Christ. He's taught them to pray in verse two with consistency and with intensity and with gratuity. But he doesn't lose the opportunity right after he says, pray for me. Verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well. In other words, he's saying, while you're praying for yourself, pray for me too. Notice what he asked them to pray. That God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, I didn't share with Deacon Babcock before this service, what would be the content of my message. But I noticed in his prayer, when he was asking God's blessing and encouraging all of us through prayer to be especially listening for God's word, I caught what he prayed for me. You know what he prayed for me? He said, help pastor to make it clear. That's what's needed. That's what Paul's saying. In some ways, these priority prayer requests that Paul has should be our prayer as well. We are not apostles, but we are, each of us, ambassadors for Christ. Note that he is basically asking for three things. Now, leave it to me to preach a sermon with three points at the beginning, but then three more before we get to go home. But this will be brief. Three categories of concern in verses three and four. And again, if you're taking notes... Let me give you a dish of peas for Thanksgiving. The pea, which is provision. He's asking them to pray for provision. Number two, he prays about the matter of proclamation. And number three, he's asking them to pray that he may do his work with precision. Three peas. Provision, proclamation, precision. We can do this very quickly. Number one, provision. It's right there in the text. That God will open a door for the word. He's asking God to give him an opportunity to communicate the treasures found in the inspired word of God. I want to suggest to you that you and I could have no greater conversation on earth with another human being than having the opportunity, an open door, to speak the truth in love. To speak God's truth in love. I wish I could remember to pray a certain way more often, because 
It is my testimony to you that I have never, never once in my Christian life. Listen, with God as my witness, I have never prayed for an opportunity, an open door to share the word with someone, but that God has always been pleased to answer that prayer. Of all the prayers I pray, I know God loves it when he hears me saying, Lord, I'm going to be at such and such a place. I'm going to be with a certain number of people. I'm going to be with a particular individual. And, Father, I'm asking you might be pleased to give me an opportunity to speak your word of truth to them. I have never, never had it fail. It's amazing. Try it this very week. You'll be amazed. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I nobly do my part to win that soul for thee. Lord, open a door. That's how we're supposed to pray. It's what we're supposed to pray. Number two is the proclamation itself. Here the apostle wants the prayers of God's people at Colossae so that he may proclaim, speak forth, he says, the mystery of Christ. Now, earlier in the epistle, that mystery was solved. It is a message. It is the good news that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by the blood of the cross. By the way, he says, such bold proclamation is not without its consequences in a fallen world. Did you see how he inserted that? I've been uh, proclaiming I want an open door, but, you know, I've been doing this for a while. And guess what? I'm writing this letter from jail. Pray that God will open the door. That's right. Pray, Paul says, that nothing will sidetrack me in my calling. That against all the odds, I will not be ashamed to proclaim the name and the redeeming work of Christ. By the way, it isn't just proclaiming biblical platitudes. It isn't just communicating good Judeo-Christian morality. Listen, we haven't proclaimed the gospel until we have spoken of Christ and explained the cross. I need to remind us all of that. Whatever else you may share with people about your faith, your testimony, or something you've learned because of the wisdom in the book of Proverbs... Know this, we haven't proclaimed the gospel until we have spoken of Christ and explained the cross. Paul says, pray that I'll do that. And then finally he says, pray that I'll do it with precision. Well, that's my word, but it's what he means when he says in verse 4, that I might make it, what? The preaching of Christ and the meaning of his cross, the gospel, that I might make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Beloved, we are not only commanded to proclaim the gospel, we're instructed in God's word as to how we are to deliver that message. The apostle is concerned that he preach Christ and that he be helped of the Lord through their prayers To preach Christ 
in such a way as to be a means of grace in God's calling sinners to himself. Out of this I say, and it is my prayer, oh, may I be precise. The word, after all, is as sharp as a two-edged sword. It is a scalpel for the soul. I've raised two kids, and I can tell you, nothing ever made me more nervous one time than when my son came bounding into the room, full of joy and energy, with a knife in his hand. Something he found and was running with, running toward me. The gospel is as sharp. It is the scalpel of the soul. It is what God uses to pierce the heart, to pierce the mind, to open the heart, to understand who Christ is. We need skill. We need precision. And I could take it to a ton of scripture that talks as much about how we share the gospel as the fact that we are to share it. That has to be for another time. But let me conclude this way. Beloved, the easiest thing for any preacher to do if he wanted to shame his hearers is simply to preach a sermon on prayer. But I have as much reason as anyone here to be convicted and to even grieve Maybe more so than anyone here. I wish I could say that prayer of all my duties was the one spiritual discipline that I carry out consistently with intensity, with gratitude of heart. But I confess that is not always true. So I need this message. May I suggest to all of us that how's this for a fresh start? For some of you, it'll be your first start. How about we pray for just 10 minutes a day? 10 minutes a day with this text as our strategy. You see, a a sweet hour of prayer may seem beyond our weak flesh for now. But I don't think we have any idea what 10 minutes of the right kind of praying with the right attitude of heart could do in this world. You know, I read a remarkable World War II story this week that inspires my intention to get more consistent, intentional and grateful in my praying, even 10 minutes at a time. Throughout the day, maybe several 10-minute sessions, I don't know. But listen to how 10 minutes made a difference in this world. It was December the 17th, 1941. Some of you remember it like yesterday. Citizens in North Platte, Nebraska, heard the rumor that a troop train carrying their sons and daughters to war would be stopping at the local depot in their town for 
ten minutes. They made plans to meet it and load the soldiers up with food and gifts and magazines for that long, lonely train ride to an uncertain future. They knew some of those soldiers from their own town and state would never see home again. Well, we're told the train arrived all right, but not with Nebraska soldiers. They were Kansans. Now, envision with me an awkward moment. Townspeople standing around quietly with food baskets in hand, while soldiers peeking out the windows wondering what's happening out there. One person must have started forward because suddenly... These Nebraska farmers in difficult times were greeting Kansas soldiers like they were their own. Eight days later, on Christmas Day, North Platte citizens started meeting every scheduled troop train, every troop train from 5 a.m. until well after midnight, feeding lonely soldiers heading to places like Iwo Jima, Bastogne, Normandy, and Wake Island. And this was a time when everything was rationed. People from all over Nebraska and even parts of Colorado traded in their ration stamps for eggs and sugar and other staples so they could feed these traveling troops for ten minutes each. They did it, we are told, without ever missing a train from December 25th, 1941, when they served the last on April 1st, 1946, estimated that they had served six million soldiers, ten minutes at a time. Their hospitality carried the name of the North Platte Canteen to every corner of the world, making it probably the most talked about town in the history of the American soldier. Even the most battle-tested, life-hardened, crusty old troopers weep when they talk about what those ten minutes meant to them, what those moments in memory still mean to them. But now let's apply it. Imagine what God might do through some 10-minute Christians who would consistently, intentionally, and with thanksgiving in their petitions talk to him about a whole world in need of his love. Citizens in North Platte knew something we need to learn. Ten minutes can change a life, their lives, and six million more. Beloved, it's while we are spending as little as ten minutes in prayer that we receive every grace to be all that He has called us to be, to live for His honor and for His glory. He will open doors. Christ will be proclaimed, and we will be equipped with boldness and clarity as those who have been put in trust with the gospel. And so this message is an invitation. Join me in this journey to a more effectual prayer life. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. And God will give abundant, all-sufficient, overflowing grace.